Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. So happy to be with you, Kevin. David, it's great to be out here. We're out there together uh, in Arlington Sunday, and we'll be out in L.A. together uh, when the Cowboys play the Rams. Yeah, and that game's uh, looking a little different than maybe we thought it would uh, two, three weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I was – I had in my – Monday newsletter, you know, uh, I'm I'm trying to, of course, that's before the Monday. Read night it game. every Monday, yes, yeah, I read it every. You, David, in fact, I get that. it twice for some reason, but I do only read it once. It comes in my email twice. <laughs> well, we want to make sure you, you get, get something about many, that. There's so many people who don't get it at all, and and then, <laughs> you know, it's it's like uh, I, I get that from people. I had a guy who actually said he hasn't gotten it since May and has been trying and trying and trying to get it. I said, man, that I need to take that guy out to eat. You know, or leave him in my will or something that he is that concerned about not getting my Monday newsletter. But at any rate, uh, you know, I I said that that Green Bay and the Rams look like the most formidable, you know, teams to me in the NFC. And then, of course, the the Rams go out and lose uh, to the 49ers and basically just get shut down by the 49ers. uh, Pretty much the way the 49ers shut down the Cowboys in the uh, in the playoffs last year with with their terrific defense. Um, you know, the Cowboys defense is, is obviously playing very well on a very high level. And I do feel like that it is uh, ascending. I, I do feel like there are still things that, that, uh, uh, that they can do. Obviously they need to work on their run defense. Uh, that was, that was an issue against Washington. Um, but, uh, they were the problem for the commanders was they were constantly getting behind the sticks and the run game didn't work. And then their passing game with Carson Wentz, is just non-existent. Uh, and so the Cowboys were able to dominate that game defensively because of that. Um, so let, let's look at this situation here. Uh, so now they're playing the Rams this week, a, a bad bounce back week for the Rams on a short week to, to try to come back against the Cowboys after that performance in which Matthew Stafford was sacked seven times, uh, yeah. seven times. That's just brutal. Um, so, do we believe in the Rams? Do we think that they are still a, a team to be reckoned with in the NFC? Well, you haven't had a repeat champion in a long time, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't see that often. Now, usually those teams are still competitive through the divisional round and into the conference championship game, but it's not unusual to see a team win a title and then not go back to defend it the next year in recent NFL history. Uh, I always thought the Rams would fall into that category. But, you know, I I thought we've talked about this a little bit going into this season. The AFC is packed. Uh, Dallas should just be very happy that they're in the NFC. And uh, because I do think it's as wide open as it has been in quite a while. And the fact that Dallas, the way it looked on opening night, losing Dak Prescott through that game, Uh, before the game was done and now you look up here going into week five and they're three and one which puts them one game ahead of the Rams in the standings at this point Um, I think they've left themselves in an outstanding position now I I didn't think you know this starts a two-game road stretch here for with at the Rams and then at Philadelphia which is the only undefeated team left in the NFL which tells you something about the about where things stand right now, because I believe a couple of years ago, you still had at least seven or eight teams that were undefeated going into week five. Now it's down to one. 
Um, but this Rams game is starting to look a little bit different after last night, because like you say, now you're looking at it. If you're the Cowboys, you're going, well, it's a short week. They had trouble protecting Matthew Stafford. They haven't had much of a run game. If we can stop a run game that feeds into our pass rush, which is our strength. So this game is setting up to where this Dallas defense should pose a great deal of problems, much like San Francisco did for the Rams offense, because the Rams have not been a good running team this year. And like, as you mentioned, that's where Dallas got stung uh, by Washington a little bit. That's certainly what Tampa Bay did to them. Uh, And and I was struck after that game uh, Sunday against Washington, uh, Mike McCarthy said he was talking about how they adjusted their run defense in the second half because it wasn't good and they challenged them. And and Dan Quinn, uh, the defensive coordinator, spoke about that uh, yesterday on Monday about that, uh, about how they adjusted it. But Mike McCarthy used the phrase that rushing the quarterback is a privilege. And in order for us to get that privilege, we have to stop the run. And he spoke about it again the day after the game, uh, saying that if I was another team, I would run right at us and make us stop the run because they know we're going to cause troubles with them on the pass rush. So if they give us third and six, third and seven opportunities, uh, you know we're a handful. They're going to try to run right at us, wear us down, and get in third and short where we just don't unleash our pass rush. The question is, are the Rams going to be good enough at running the ball in order to uh, impose that part of the game plan? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. They, uh, the, the, Cow- the Cowboys, ha- I-, I thought that they were getting better at their uh, run de- defense. Um, I think that, uh, that Quentin Bohanna left that game Sunday with a, a shoulder problem of some kind. David, do we have an update on that? Yeah, uh, he should be cleared for practice starting on Wednesday. So okay. anticipate that he will be back. And he he's done a very good job uh, giving them a, a kind of anchor in the middle and, and letting everything around them. But, you know, the, even great defenses usually have a weakness, right? And, and this, you can run on this defense because it's so much speed, uh, so much built to get after the quarterback and cover ground that if you run right at them and you're successful, that is the best way to try to neutralize this defense. That being said, they still haven't given up more than 19 points in a game this year, which is something, um, you know, which is something no Dallas team has done through the first four games of a season until this one. Yeah. On 73, they had done, they did that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course in that fifth game in 1973, they played the the Rams in LA and lost 37 to 31. So, Interesting symmetry, yeah. Yeah, there's a little uh, – uh, let's hope that's not serendipity uh, either. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if uh, if that's uh, something that can happen here at this point. You know, it's but funny watching – Even with a great defense, I mean, you're going to have outliers, right? You know, I, Tampa Bay's an example. I don't think they had allowed, what, 21 points maybe in their first three games combined. Kansas City gets a turnover in, inside the red zone on the opening kickoff, gets a quick score, gets another short field – boom, suddenly they have 35 points thrown up on you. So Dallas is going to have some games this year where they get hit for 28 to 35 points. But I think we have seen enough to say that those are going to be the outliers. This this is one of the better defenses in the league and should keep Dallas in just about every game it plays. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, that's what this team looks like to me. You know, uh, it's interesting, the, 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 the whole uh, um, dialogue about – uh, Trayvon Diggs, uh, 
who in that game, uh, of course, came up with an interception on a beautifully played ball. Uh, he, that was an uh, outstanding interception. It was. He, he he shielded. I mean, for people that complain about his uh, mechanics and his technique, he he shielded the receiver from the ball and, and made the catch and made a nice catch on the ball and, and had him the entire way. Um, and then it was what was interesting though the two balls that he deflected on both of them he was beaten on the plays and yet was yeah. able to close and get up and make plays on the ball. That's kind of very you know Dion esque. I will say uh, he's not as fast as Dion was. I don't know that anybody that's played football was fast as Dion was, uh, but he is uh, uh, probably, I, I would guess top three or four in the league among uh, cornerbacks in closing speed and his ability to get back. And, and of course his awareness as well. He's not the kind of cornerback that when he goes back on the ball, he's just looking at the receiver. He, he is aware of where the ball is uh, and he can tell he's, he's a very bright kid, obviously. And he's reading the receiver. For one thing, if you're if you're looking at the receiver and the receiver looks like he's trying to catch the ball, well, then that's time for you to get up and make a play. And he is doing that. So, I, I you know, uh, I, I don't have any problems with the way that, that Trayvon plays. He gives up a lot of yards after the catch. He also gets a lot of turnovers. And turnovers matter more than anything else for a cornerback. When he plays the ball like a receiver, I think in that interception in that in the Washington game, you saw that. Uh, if you didn't know, if you just had two guys out there, you might have argued that he was the receiver just the way he played it. And he did play yeah. receiver earlier in his career. And his brother is Stefan Diggs, and they you know practice against each other and work out against each other. So he does have some innate receiver skills that I think allows him to do the position. The the other thing is, you know, you always hear it's like, well, he had eleven interceptions last year why do teams continue to throw at him well because he baits them into throwing at him at times right because a receiver breaks away and the quarterback goes okay well I've got this and he has such good recovery speed it's a lot of what Dion did as well you know Dion would bait quarterbacks to throw into his area making them appearing that he was out of position where really he was in the right window and position to knew he could get to the ball and make a play on it. So uh, Diggs has some of those qualities as well. And and it's interesting, after this game, you had Richard Sherman and some other former receivers, uh, corners in the league, excuse me, come out on social media and say, okay, for, for all of you Trayvon Diggs haters out there, this guy's improved this year, and, and here's an example of it. And they were talking about specifically what he did in the Washington game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dion would call that sitting in his rocking chair. Waiting, yeah. for mm-hmm. the, waiting for the play to come up when he would do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't – I got no complaints about Trayvon Diggs, uh, just like I've got no complaints about Micah Parsons. These are – this is the best duo the Cowboys have had on defense uh, that I can recall. I mean, I, when DeMarcus Ware was here, I don't remember uh, a defensive back to pair up with him that was that good. Um, the Cowboys have just – have not had a, a pair like that because both of those guys are making an impact. Now, Micah was not making as much of an impact in the game, at least individually, uh, Sunday against Washington. But he certainly, because of the attention he draws, uh, is creating opportunities across the front uh, for, for other people, for Demarcus Lawrence, for Dorrance Armstrong, for the, the defensive tackles. Everybody is getting more. I thought it was remarkable in that game that nine players – had quarterback hits uh, yeah. against the commanders. That is remarkable that that many people are getting involved in getting into the backfield. So that, that shows you that, that opponents are not going to be able to just simply double team Parsons 
and then expect everything to be okay. Uh, no, exactly. I think defenses well, one, they're looking where Parsons is. Two, they're working, looking where Demarcus Lawrence is. As as Mike McCarthy likes to say, those are the two stress points uh, for an offense. But then they're looking to identify those guys, see where they're lined up. But you're you're going to pick your spots, right? You're looking for them, but you're not going to bring any extra attention on Dorrance Armstrong or Dante Fowler or Bohanna or Neville Gallimore, who had an outstanding uh, sack coming up the middle, barreling in there. Or, you know, they've started to blitz Donovan Wilson, who's gotten to the quarterback in each of these last two games with right. that safety blitz. So uh, they're just doing an excellent job of disguising where the pressure is going to come from. And they have so many players who can rush the quarterback that it, it makes it impossible for an offense to with with 100% accuracy say, okay, this is where the pressure is going to come from on this play. All right, so that's enough about defense. I can't believe that we've talked this long about the Cowboys and haven't talked about the quarterback situation. Quarterback. Yeah, hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, so uh, so David, uh, has Cooper Rush uh, solidified his role as a starting quarterback for the Cowboys for the rest of this year? <laughs> well, well, now Jerry is very careful to say he cannot see a scenario where when Dak Prescott is healthy, he will not be back in as the starting quarterback, which is what we all knew. Right. Um, but I do Cooper Rush's play has just been outstanding and, and don't look at his overall statistical numbers as much. I would say, look at when he's doing it and that let's just, let's just take this like six day span where they play two division games on the road to New York and then back home against Washington. Um, you know, they went down 13 to six or 12 to six in the, uh, in the third quarter of that New York game. They were not, you know, everything was a slog. They had no consistent offense. How did, how did Cooper Rush respond? He led the team on a 75-yard touchdown drive to immediately take the lead back and then led Dallas on 17 unanswered points to really secure that game against the Giants. Now, what happened against Washington? Same sort of thing. You know, they got a couple of field goals early, couldn't do much else. Suddenly, Washington scores its only touchdown, they go up seven to six for their only lead of the game. What does Cooper Rush do? He leads a 15 play, 75 yard touchdown drive and ends it by throwing it to Michael Gallup, who's crossing on the back of the end zone. The way we've seen them do it so many times before with Dak Prescott. Uh, Cooper Rush hit that play. So responded in key moments right when he needs to. And those are the kind of things that change the course of a game. It's not just how many you score, it's when you score them. And yet another example, Washington closes it to within 15 to 10 in the third quarter with a field goal drive, long field goal drive. What does Cooper Rush do then? Engineers a 75-yard touchdown drive again. So that's three instances in the last two games where after either trailing or the other team scores where you say, okay, maybe they have a little momentum now. Cooper Rush responded with a 75-yard touchdown drive on three occasions. There aren't a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league uh, that do that. Hey, you know, Michael Strahan said that on the studio show the other day that uh, he could play for a lot of other teams. A lot of other teams could have had him. The Cowboys served him up on waivers, uh, and uh, yeah. there were no takers. So he, he was a vested veteran. He could have signed with any team. But I, I tell you now, if Cooper Rush was on the open market, 
uh, I don't think Dallas would feel as good about their chances of getting him back here. Yeah, no question about that. Here's what to me, the Cowboys fans, and I get a lot of these uh, readers that, that who write about this and, and are big Cooper Rush fans, is that what you should take from this is that this is all good. That when Dak Prescott comes back and if something else happens to him at some point, and if Cooper Rush is forced to play, he's he's been there. He's done that. Uh, he's, he's been in meaningful games and and played meaningful minutes and, and showed he can win. So – this should put the Cowboys in one of the best positions they've ever been in, frankly. Uh, the, the, the difference is that, you know, what, we, what we've seen in these games is that the Cowboys have done a remarkable job protecting Cooper. Uh, yes. that he's only been sacked twice. Only sacked uh, twice since he's been back in there, yeah. And he's not taking a lot of hits either. He, it's, you know, and he's, he's doing a good job getting rid of the ball, and I, I certainly give him credit for that. That's, that's a key proponent of all this. You know, some sacks, like Carson Wentz, some sacks are your fault. Uh, because you know you're you're taking too long to get rid of the ball. Just get rid of the ball. Uh, but uh, any quarterback in the NFL, I don't care who it is, if you don't if you don't put pressure on him, he's going to be successful. You know, he's gonna he's gonna find his receivers eventually, and he's gonna be able to do what he needs to do. So I'm not in any way denigrating what Cooper's done, but I think the Cowboys have also done a very nice job of protecting him. Now I'm interested to see going forward, and 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 everybody has talked about this. Will the Cowboys learn a lesson from all this and run a more balanced offense this year? Not be doing silly things like a double reverse on the first play, uh, you know, this junior high kind of stuff. On the that first the, opener, in the opener, yeah, yeah. in the opener. Uh, my gosh, uh, that kind of stuff is so ridiculous. Uh, will they run a more balanced type of offense? And, and as part of that, and Cooper talked about that after the game, even though the Cowboys' running game was not very good against Washington, which has an all-world defensive line, I think we should add to that, full of first-round picks, uh, was that they, they couldn't run the ball, but they still tried to run the ball, and that's important. And one of the things they did as part of that was the play action. And yeah. and uh, and Dak is not as comfortable, I don't think, and under center, perhaps as Cooper is, uh, and it will be interesting to me to see what they do. I, I think that's part of the deal. Of course, the Cowboys would like to do that, and one of the reasons why they want to make sure that his thumb is okay, because you know when you got your hand under center there, that guy snaps that ball back. That could hurt every snap. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And people so. talk about throwing it, grip on throwing it, but every single snap you're taking as well is yeah. uh, if you still have swelling in that joint, it's going to bruise and it's going to impact your ability to throw the ball. So yeah. This this will be interesting for me to see what happens. I I fully expect Cooper to play this week. I wouldn't be surprised, in, and I think one of the things you reported this week was that Mike McCarthy has said he would like to get a full week of practice for Dak, and I think that's exactly right. I, yep. I think he needs a full week of practice as well. I don't know. We haven't ever really talked about it because of the disaster the first game was and the fact that Dak got hurt. But, boy, before he got hurt, he looked terrible in that game. And I don't know how I don't know what to attribute that to. I don't know if there was some kind of physical issue with him in that game, other than obviously he he was his thumb was not bothering him the entire game. That was something that happened late. Uh, there were issues there, so he needs to get some things worked out here in a full week of practice. If he's not practicing now and not really taking reps, I, I'm wondering if he if he can really play against the Eagles. Well, that's going to be. From my mind, from what my understanding of, of the fracture and where it was and what this timetable was, you were really starting the clock on the Eagles game. There was no assurance he would be back for it, but that was the first likely point to say, yeah, 
he, he can make it back for that. I, I never got the sense that the Rams game was, was realistic. And I think we'll see that. I, I doubt that he'll do much, if anything, in practice this week. And, and by the end of the week, he'll be clear he's not going to play against the Rams. Uh, but if he's starting to throw by the end of this week, then yeah, he, he can throw, play against Philadelphia. A, at the moment, he still doesn't have the strength to grip the ball the way he needs to to throw it. So that tell that should tell you right there, he's not going to play against the Rams. If you're not able on Tuesday before a game Sunday to be able to grip the ball, you're not going to be able to go through a full week of practice the way Mike McCarthy wants him to in order to get back. And uh, But you, you hit on a lot of points here. I know we want to go on to some, some other sports, but very quickly, yeah, the play action – Dallas has been so persistent in the run game, even though they weren't picking up a lot of yards on the ground against Washington. It set them up for the play-action game, and Cooper Rush was outstanding in that. But you go back earlier in Dak's career, Dak was at his best when he had a good play-action game going. And you're right, he is more comfortable in the shotgun than he is under center, but he can play under center, and he can, with his mobility, the rollouts and the play-action game gives them an element you don't necessarily have with Cooper Rush. But you know, I think Dak has seen, I think too often in the past, Dak has had to play hero ball uh, because they didn't have a run game. They weren't committed to it. They had all these receivers. Okay, let's throw it. That's our best bet to win a game. But he's seen now with this defense and managing the game that he doesn't have to play that way. He doesn't have to come riding uh, over the over the horizon to save this team. They're 3-1 and one without him. Very quickly, we've talked about what Cooper Rush and and this defense has done to to keep them competitive. Since the final month of his initial season in Dallas, the Cowboys are 18-7 and with Mike McCarthy as the head coach and and 7-1 without Dak Prescott. Now, this statistic isn't to say that they're better off without Dak Prescott. It's to say this team has shown it knows how to win without Dak Prescott having to save them week in and week out. And, and I think that's probably sunk in on Dak and, and and the coaching staff and his teammates during this absence. Yeah, let's hope it has sunk in with them because we saw what Mike McCarthy said also about the stuff that they've tried, and you noted that in your column today, that uh, there are things that we have tried before that we're just not going to do this anymore. You yeah. know, And I'm thinking about it in special teams in particular and some of the things that that uh, Fossil wants to do, and he has said that uh, maybe he has told him, hey, we're not doing that anymore. Going to Kellen Moore and saying, hey, we need to be running the ball a little more. Yes. These are the things that head coach needs to do. He's in charge. I, I you know, I, I like a guy that delegates, but I need the guy to, I need the head coach to say, this is wrong. The, the head coach should always be able to 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 enforce his veto power. And I and I'm I'm glad to see at least Mike McCarthy doing that. All right, we're going to move over now to our uh, college football slate. It's a big week here in Dallas. Uh, it's Texas OU week. Uh, David, I went out to the fair on uh, Saturday with uh, with three of my that. four kids. Uh, it was we had a great time. We we love going to the fair. Got there early. Uh, weather was spectacular. Uh, it was it wasn't it really wasn't even that crowded. That, that's my that's my advice to anybody going to the fair. Go in the morning. Uh, there's not as many people there then. It's a lot easier to get around and go to lots of stuff. Had a great time. Uh, very disappointed in the fried charcuterie. It was it was not not. That's what right. I wanted wanted to get. I'm I'm going today, which is why this podcast we actually <laughs> produced it earlier than we normally do. Thank you for <laughs> Good that. Good for you. But uh, yeah, get out there today. And, and my my little tip for listeners is 
Tuesday is Senior Citizens Day, so go out there because even if it's crowded, <laughs> you can run around them a little bit better and get to where you want to go. You, you are a senior citizen. Stop it. I'm a senior citizen. I think senior citizen day is actually Thursday, but I'm, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We had a great time out there. We spent like, oh, I don't know, a million dollars. Yeah, That's what it felt like anyway. Every time I was turning around, I was buying more coupons. Um, so, uh, Texas OU this week. Uh, got two teams with two losses. Uh, that's the first time that neither one of these teams has been ranked since 1998. That was, I believe, Mac Brown's first year at Texas. Uh, and Oklahoma's not just coming off a loss; they're coming off a. They oh my gosh! They got they got blown up by TCU. Fifty five points they gave up to TCU. That is unbelievable. Now Max Duggan, the TCU quarterback, I tell you, I've always kind of liked him because uh, I like dual threat quarterbacks in college. I think you got to have a guy who can run. It's just too hard to put together an offensive line in sync in college football these days. You just don't get guys long enough. You know, and it's just a difficult thing to do. It has, the blocking has to be pristine and you have to be able to do a lot of things when you've got a dual threat quarterback and this guy can just take off and make something out of nothing. Well, then God bless you. You're, you're on your way in my estimation. So uh, Max Duggan has always always been a runner, but now now uh, Sonny Dykes in his first year at TCU has made him into a passer too. Uh, he's not uh, he's not throwing as many interceptions, and uh, they're they're just playing better all the way around. So we'll see what Sonny can do. He has he has he and his counterpart in Kansas, Lance Leopold, has 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 made it possible that ESPN's game day is going to be in Lawrence, Kansas this week. Instead of either at Texas OU or what was everyone thought was going to be the game of the of the entire season, A and M and Tuscaloosa against Alabama. Neither one it's of those games inconceivable. It is inconceivable. Who would have said that? That's going to be there. I think in, I think in Kansas they should probably declare it a national holiday. It, this is the best that their football has ever been uh, and will ever be. I don't I don't know how good it was when John Hadle was there, but that was like a million years ago. So well, even two weeks ago, would you have even said this is how it was going to unfold this week? Not even two oh, weeks ago. No, no way. No. Now I have covered a, that. I've covered a couple of AM games and their offense really is yeah. bad. Uh and uh and you know, this Jimbo Fisher's taking a lot of heat now, and deservedly so. He's supposed to be an offensive genius. He had four he has coached four first round draft pick quarterbacks. Uh, one of those was at LSU, and then of course three at Florida State. Now, I'm, I'm not going to knock the fact that none of those guys, except for Jameis Winston, really made it, and even Jameis Winston is not what everyone hoped he would be. Uh, that doesn't matter. It only matters how you played in college football if you're a college coach. So he's, he's done a good job with that. He's been criticized now, though, that his offense is a little antiquated. It's kind of stuck in the 70s. It's very complicated. Uh, Nick Starkle is criticizing one of his former quarterbacks as, as being really hard for, for young quarterbacks to pick up. That's been a very difficult thing. So, so now that Alabama game has turned into something that's that this could be kind of brutal for the Aggies. You know, it's a good thing that uh, that Jimbo Fisher made up with Nick Saban before this game because I'd hate to think that uh, <laughs> yeah. they'd taken a grudge into it. I mean, they got hammered by Mississippi State last week. 
I don't think it's going to be very pretty uh, in Tuscaloosa. So that that's going to be a hard game for the Aggies. Uh, Texas, on the other hand, uh, has an easier path here. <laughs> you know, the two teams that are going to be leaving to go to the SEC on their farewell tour, so far it's not going very well. Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas, both with two losses at this point. That's just kind of unbelievable. I will say uh, that Brent Venables at Oklahoma was considered, you know, uh, by a lot of people, this is a great hire because it's a little bit like the Joey McGuire hire in, in Texas at Texas tech. He's excited about being here, you know, and, I, mm-hmm. and that's what happens when you hire a new coach, you're always looking for the guy who is the antithesis of the former coach whatever his weakness was perceived to be. Lincoln Riley's weakness was not that he wasn't a good coach. His weakness was that he left. He left Oklahoma to go to USC. It's like, you know, people in Norman, how can can he do that? How can he leave a a program like Oklahoma to go to USC? Well, he did. Uh, So Brent Venables was dying to come back. I I have to tell you, I'm always a little nervous about a guy who hasn't been a head coach uh, when he's walking into a major program. Now, it obviously worked very well for Oklahoma with Bob Stoops. Couldn't mm-hmm. have worked out any better than that. But too many times I think it doesn't work. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that, that, that Brent Venables, well, you would think at least the defense would have been good because uh, that's, that's his stock and trade is his defensive coordinator. And then he gives up 55 points to TCU. Yeah. Holy cow. So this is not off to a good start. Uh, and, and Steve Sarkeesian is, is still uh, kind of uh, feeling his way around in Austin as well. I think there's a very good possibility that, that uh, neither one of these guys is still the head coach of, of either Texas or Oklahoma when those schools join the SEC, probably in the 2025 season. Uh, I just don't think that uh, the, these programs are going to accept that. They're going to feel like we have to be ascending when we get into the SEC. We cannot go into that stumbling around uh, and get off to a bad start. That would just be a, a catastrophe. So having said all that, you know, uh, this week against uh, Oklahoma, I, I think that you know, that game's a, a toss-up. Who knows who's going to be uh, at the top of his game in that. But well, I this think- is kind of resets. Right. I mean, sometimes you you've gone in and one team has played very poorly. There have been a lot of years where you go in and go like, well, Texas has no shot and they came out and won and it kind of reset their season. So so to me, neither one of these teams have played to the level you would have anticipated, Uh, especially really in some ways. Well, really both, because I mean, 55 points losing to TCU, but you expected a little more from Texas after seeing what they did against Alabama in that game. It raised expectations. But but now this is kind of a chance. Whoever does win this game can kind of reset and, and, and get some momentum that they don't have here. And and I would say an inordinate amount of momentum based on what we've seen teams coming out of this rivalry in the past. Well, that's one of the things that makes Texas OU great. I really don't even care. You know, from year to year, I've, I've written this a thousand times. It's the greatest annual sporting event in Texas. It has a mm-hmm. It has less to do with how well they're playing at a particular time and whether they're ranked or not than the fact that it's, A, a great rivalry. It's a border war. Those are always a, a great – make for great rivalries. And, B, it's the setting. You know, it's one of the few neutral site settings left in American college football. Uh, it is uh, – uh, the fact that it sits right in the middle of the fair. You know, it, it's just it's just terrific. It's a great you know, scene. Yeah, it really it is. It is a great scene. My, my only complaint is that when they expanded the stadium to, to 90,000 capacity, 
They raised up uh, the bleachers all the way around both ends. And so now you don't see as much as a fair from the you press box. You don't see box. as much. Yeah. And so I, I always liked the, the fact that you could look out there and see the midway and all these other stuff. But, you know, that's a small complaint. At least they got the bathrooms cleaned up a little bit. So uh, I, I think, though, in this game, Hudson Card played very well last week against West Virginia. But uh, for for Texas hopes this year, I, I, I don't, you know, I think really at this point, you know, TCU and Oklahoma State are the only schools really in the running now for the, the college football playoff from the Big 12. Uh, I, I really feel like that, that neither one is going to make it in the end. Uh, again, I don't think but again, the fact you just issued that statement in early October didn't say Tech, didn't say Oklahoma, didn't say Baylor. No. <laughs> in fact, you said the two schools that you did, and we're not even to mid-October yet. It's just yeah. it's stunning to me. Well, it is. It is stunning to watch this development. You know, I, you know, perhaps TCU can do this. Sunny Dykes had some very fast starts at SMU and yeah. some slow finishes. We'll we'll see if he can sustain this. You know, if you if you force your way into the conversation, then you can do this something. But I really feel like the committee is going to look at USC and if and if the Trojans under Lincoln Riley can win out. And, and the fact that the Pac-12 has been left out of the college football playoff these last years, and and has been uh, such a done such a had such poor representation, I really feel like the committee is going to go out of its way to want to include a Pac-12 team. And when you've already got Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson, uh, cl- yeah. you know, clogging up everything as it is, I just don't see how you can get a Big 12 team in there, uh, and especially, you know. God bless them, TCU and Oklahoma State. They they're just they don't have those reputations. Uh, the coach, I know how the coaches on the committee think. They they are looking for great athletes. They are looking for five star athletes. They're looking for NFL players. That's how they judge these teams. They mm-hmm. don't look at little scrappy teams that put things together and play really well. That's not the way they think. And so I really feel like it's going to be difficult for TCU and Oklahoma State, uh, even if they went out, to make it into the college football playoff. And I just really feel like they're going to have a hard time winning out. I do think for Texas, though, and when they can and they can gum this up for some other teams, is if Quinn Ewers can come back. I'll tell you, that first quarter he had against Alabama before he got hurt, um, I had not seen him play, and we talked about this before, but I don't know that I've ever seen a Texas quarterback play better than that, certainly from a – from a passing standpoint, just just mm-hmm. watching the ball come out of his hand, just the way he spins the football is phenomenal. Uh, and and his touch in that game, and the fact that he threw for 134 yards in one quarter and had a couple of drop passes, he could have thrown for 200 yards in yeah. that first quarter against Alabama. That is just phenomenal. So it'll be very interesting to me to see going forward here. They need to get him up and running if he's able to play. If he's healthy enough to play, he needs to play against Oklahoma. Because yeah. they need to establish is this is it where is Quinn Ewers going to be in the development of this team? I think it could that he could really bail out Steve Sarkeesian, and then as we go forward, it's going to be interesting to see when Arch Manning arrives on campus. How can these guys coexist? We we don't know how that can happen. If if Ewers bombs and he doesn't really play well, well then it's it's a no brainer. Then you just hand it over to Arch Manning and you move on. But if he plays really really well. Uh, and he is it, – it, this is not the same kind of situation it was when Chris Sims was there with Major Applewhite. The, the, the coaching staff at Texas at that time, Mac Brown, was convinced that if we get Chris Sims, we have to play him because he will draw more big-time recruits. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the case. They got big time recruits because of Chris Sims. The, the, the Major Applewhite was not drawing those kind of uh, that players and that kind of talent. So in this case, though, you got two big time recruits, right? Quinn yours yeah. and Arch Manning, both big time guys. Yes, there, there have been some players who've committed to Texas because of Arch Manning. No question about that. But it's not like you're slumming when you're going with Quinn Ewers either. So it'll be very interesting to me to see how this all develops in the long run, whether those guys can actually be on the roster at the same time. I have my doubts about that. But Quinn Ewers needs to play this week against Oklahoma, and then we'll see what happens in that game. I think it could be a really fun game to watch uh, and, and see what develops. I'm, I'm sure it'll be very high scoring, judging by the defenses so far on both teams. Uh, I, I expect it to be a lot of points scored. Yeah, Ewers fascinating, but you do want to see a sample size larger than one quarter. One quarter would be better. Yeah, yeah, more than one quarter, maybe a half. Uh, maybe that'd be great. All right, we're going to move on now from uh, from our college football talk over to the baseball. Uh, I was out at uh, the ballpark. We'll turn this over to Evan right now. Evan, your thoughts? Yeah, Evan. Oh, oh, there's no Evan this week. Uh, oh, we forgot to mention that up front. Oh my gosh, yeah. Evans is Evan is even while we're taping this, he's out the, because of the doubleheader. The, double uh, the Rangers are playing uh, on Tuesday. Uh, he's got early and late duty. Uh, he didn't have any duty yesterday. He left me out <laughs> there by myself. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't have Brad Townsend out there with it. The, and, and Brad was out having to roam around in the stands, you know, in case somebody caught a base bucket. Can you imagine being out in those stands? Field in case it was like <laughs> based on where the ball was going. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be anywhere near all that. I mean, this, supposedly this ball could go for as much as $2 million. Can you imagine people scrambling for two million dollars? Oh my gosh! Uh, I, I don't. I don't know that anybody's prepared for that. Supposedly they had a lot of security out there, and they were they were going to be able to deal with that. But you know, I've seen people scramble for balls that were free, and they weren't going to get any money for, and they're knocking kids down to get them. I don't. I've I don't seen know. People scramble for a dollar bill when they drop it in the outfield. Oh my gosh. So that that's going to be a little bit crazy if that actually happens. I thought it was it was a it was a pretty crazy game last night. Uh, at, at one point, uh, it was Brad who brought it up. It was going into I think the sixth inning. He he was out in the stands and he sat back and said, "Hey, listen, you know the uh, Severino, uh, Luis Severino, the Yankee starter, is throwing a no hitter. What are we going to do about that? Oh, by it's the like way, I, uh, I'm trying to write about this." potential history here of breaking the, the American league record of 61 home runs. I don't need a no hitter in the middle of all this as well. Especially on deadline. And you know, I just want to say right up front here that, that dealing with some of our editors in these kinds of situations is not great. Not <laughs> great. So anyway, you can uh, amplify on that, Kevin, or no, I think that's enough. That off podcast. I think that's, okay. that's quite enough. Uh, I was I was asked to do something last night, and I sent back in a message. I don't have any idea what you're talking about and what that is <laughs> that I would have to do to be able to do that. Uh, so I said, so I'm not even going to entertain what you just asked me to do. So uh, anyway, so uh, but the but uh, Aaron Judge did not hit the 60 second home run. Of the season last night and uh, uh, in, in Monday night, uh, he's got two two games today to do it. Uh, I, there was speculation that had he had he uh, set the record Monday, that maybe he would have sat out one of these games. I'm sure he will will uh, pitch him or hit in both of them. Certainly, as a, when the uh, Rangers run their uh, bullpen out there for one of the starts, so uh, I, I would say that he is going to do it. Uh, I, I kind of have confidence in him to be able to do that against the Rangers. 
although they have not given up a home run to him this year. And, and actually, the only guy that's even on the roster this year who has ever given up a home run to uh, Aaron Judge is Colby Allard, who may very well pitch today. Pitch, yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. It's, it was uh, it's a lot of fun, I will say. You know, it reminds you of it's October, the weather's nice, they open the roof. It's just so it's so great to cover baseball games in October. Uh, we don't get to do a lot of that around here, uh, except for the first few days of, of October. It's fun to be covering a game that actually means something that people care about. Um, there was a, a lot of media out there, a lot of New York media, obviously. Uh, and there were a lot of Yankee fans. Of course, we always see that when the, when the Yankees play in Arlington there, sometimes it's hard to tell which is the home team. Uh, but there was a lot of that all as well at the game. Uh, Again, Martin- this is a nice diversion at the end, right? Rather than just the, the constant drumbeat of another disappointing season, how far away are the Rangers? What do they have to do? Which is what this final homestand would have been ad infinitum. I mean, just every inning, every pitch is like, get this thing to an end. This is what they have to do. This reinforces what they haven't done all year. At least now you're you're intrigued by this. You know, you're you're looking over here instead of staring at what you're going to have to do once again this offseason to try to get this team back to respectability. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the boss would have even assigned me to go out there uh, no. had it not been for no. Aaron Judge. So uh, you, you know, and I was happy to go out there to write that. It's it's a fun it's a fun story to write. And look, sure. and I talked to Martin Perez and asking that question after the game. You know, one of the things that Martin has done this year, uh, and, and, and he's impossible not to like. And I've always liked Martin. Uh, he's he's really a good guy. Uh, he allowed his emotions to get to him early in his career, and he never developed into the pitcher the Rangers hoped he would be. He was their number one prospect for years and years, and it just didn't work out. He was okay, but he was not great. And finally, he's been able to put all that together this year, put his emotions behind him a little bit, settle in, throw the pitches he wants to throw. Uh, and uh, and he, he did that uh, against Judge and the Yankees last night and pitched very well. They only gave a, a one run in, uh, in his uh, seven, you know, six innings. I would have kept sending him out there, frankly, and I think it probably cost the game that that uh, Tony Beasley went to his bullpen a little early. He'd only thrown seventy-seven pitches. He he was a little he was giving up some walks in there in the in the middle innings, but still, I like Martin's chances against any from anybody coming out of that bullpen. But the one of the questions I asked him was, uh, you know, he said I was, you know, he didn't beat me, meaning Aaron Judge, and, and mm-hmm. I said, well, and what if he had? He just said, good, then I'm in history. Uh, and I think that's the attitude these guys need to take. Listen, there is not a pitcher on that staff who's going in the hall of fame. Okay. Uh, and probably not a pitcher on that staff coming, uh, in the next, Oh, I don't know. In my lifetime, that's going to end up in the (laughs) hall of fame. If you could end up being part of history, even the wrong side of it, I think that's okay. Uh, that's what Tracy Stallard who gave up uh, Roger Maris's 61st home run in 1961. That's what he said. Uh, he said it at the time. I was just glad I didn't walk him. You know when he when he he gave up on a, a two old fastball and that's what Maris hit into the right field seats at Yankee Stadium, uh, and then even that the rest of his life he said that he said people always ask me they act like I'm going to feel bad about this you know that I gave up Roger Maris's 61st home run he said he he owned a he ended up owning a coal mine back in his hometown and he said uh, I I it'd be like I was buried in one of those coal mines out there if I hadn't done that people still talk to me they still ask me you know hey what's going on. I think that's a great attitude. Question for the rest of your life. 
Yeah, and beyond. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, it's a measure of immortality. That's it is. It's your it's your 15 seconds of fame. It might be the wrong fame, but it's still good fame. You know, I'm I'm taking that. If I infamy fame, whatever. I'm trying to think about if, if I could I don't know what I would have to do wrong to get that kind of fame. There might be something. I don't maybe I don't want to think about it. Uh I've done many things wrong. I just don't know that it rises to the level of being a trivia question for the rest of my life. Yeah. And maybe not a good idea, but then maybe then again, maybe not. I think it's the way you need to look at it. Look, just just Take the chance and move on. Still have time here. Yeah, both exactly. of us have time. We can do yeah, something. Yeah, well, shoot, you. I can. I can run my whole podcast. You can say something right here. Yeah, I can. I can sit my will, whole career here. You know, David, I'm just trying ahead. to make. I, I'm actually trying to make it to 50 years in the business. That's my goal. <laughs> is to make it to 50. I got. I got five years to make it to 50. Um, that's that's probably. I don't know how much ambition that really is, but at any rate, <laughs> I, I think it's it's worth trying, and I, and I think I'm going to try to uh, in those in these remaining five years, I'm going to try to maybe not do anything that's going to sink my career, uh, such as it is. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah, no, it probably is. Uh, probably there's probably a lot of people saying, "Pal, your 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 career is already underwater." So uh, anyway. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank everybody for listening in, as always. Uh, don't listen to that other podcast, that Dallas Cowboys podcast. <laughs> that's the wrong one. This is the real podcast. This is where you get the straight dope on the Cowboys and on everything else. too. We don't just talk about the Cowboys. We talk about all kinds of stuff. You know, we talked about the fair. We, we got a lot of things going on. Don't listen to that other podcast. Um, Interesting programming note by you on this, and, well, and you know, what I'm, we were talking about earlier. I'm a I'm a team player. Accomplished what you wanted, not wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding, of course. Listen to the other one. Just make sure you listen to ours as well, and then you can set them side by side and see which one you like better. I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> I, I know which one you're going to like better. So anyway, and, and Evan Grant might even be back with us next week if he if his dauber's up. You know, he might uh, his dauber might still be down. He's taking this Ranger season really poorly. Yes, uh, he is. He is. Bless his heart. It just gets to him after a while. I just don't I just don't know what we're gonna do about it. You'd think after I don't know, he's been covering the team for like a half century that he would be used to this by now. But the scar uh, tissue should be built up by now, but it's yeah, not. That's right. Lots of scar tissue, exactly. That's going to do it. Thanks for everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.